Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we have Caleb Kruckenberg of the New Civil Liberties Alliance. He's coming on the show to talk about uh, our lawsuit against the Justice Department, Department of Justice, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and AG William Barr in reference to bump stocks. We need to find out what's the update on the bump stock lawsuit uh, that I have, and also the bump stop lawsuits that are going on around the country, because it's not about one particular lawsuit. It's about all of them and the end goal. So we're going to talk about that. Also, we're going to talk with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with U.S. and Texas Law Shield. He's going to talk to us about a lawsuit in Houston challenging the no gun signs, the 30.06 and 30.07 signs for Texas. That's been spurred and funded by Michael Bloomberg. We're going to talk about that as well with Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. But first, let me welcome Caleb Kruckenberg. He's my attorney with New Civil Liberties Alliance. He's going to talk to us and give us an update on the bump stock lawsuit. Caleb, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Hey, how are you, Michael? Outstanding. How are you doing there in D.C.? Not too bad. The weather good? It's, you know, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm doing well. All right, outstanding. All right, so Caleb, tell us what's going on. So what's what's the update on the the bump stock lawsuits? Because a lot of people are confused. Uh, some people think that some of the other, like the DC case, they think the DC case has actually had its trial, um, and that's really not the case. The there's only one case that actually had a trial thus far. Right, that's right. And Michael, your case is the farthest along of any bump stock case in the country. Uh, there are about, I think there are four lawsuits total. Um, there's one in D.C., there's yours, obviously, there's another one in Michigan, and there's another one that I'm, I'm 
I'm handling, it's uh, out of Utah. And yours is the only case that's gone forward to a trial. And yours is the only time a federal judge has heard evidence in the case and is is now ready to actually make a decision about whether or not this rule is valid. Um, all the other cases, you know, they're at a preliminary stage. And basically, they asked the judge to uh, issue an order you know, temporarily halting the rules, but that, that never even happened. So, mm -hmm. you know, your, your case is kind of a, a unique situation. And why I think that's important is, you know, this is the first time a judge has actually heard the evidence, looked at what went into the rule and may, and is going now to make a final decision about whether this rule is valid. And obviously we don't think it is. Okay, so uh, so kind of give us an update on what happened with DC because DC is it's kind of confusing everyone because it it's they something happened at the lower court, uh, and then it was it went to the the next court after that the appeals court, and so they were there a lot of people were thinking well that case had its trial and went to appeals court in DC. Right. So what happened there is shortly after you know the rule was passed but before it became effective. There were a number of lawsuits that tried to stop the rule from taking effect, and w actually one of those lawsuits was mine, and and that's in in Utah. Um, and so in D.C., they went to the judge. They said, "We need you to stop the rule as an emergency." Uh, mm -hmm. Their judge denied that request. They took an appeal to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and that court said, "No, we're not going to stop that that rule either." Mm. Um, interestingly, though, the case that we brought in Utah, we did the same tactic. We went to the judge and we asked uh, our judge there to stop the rule from taking effect. We lost that as well. We took that to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, which initially denied our request. But about a week ago, that court decided to rehear the case. And so now, instead of three judges, it's going to be heard by 11 judges on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. Who are going to revisit it and hopefully they're going to decide that this rule is invalid so that's a very promising development in, in our case in utah okay and now for those people that that are out there that don't know what a bump stock is you know how can you know you're the attorney that has to you know actually plead this case and, and get the judge to understand you know what a bump stock actually is and how it is not a machine gun it should not be considered a machine gun so Caleb, what exactly is a bump stock? Sure. So a bump stock is just really a piece of plastic. And it's interesting, you know, when we had our trial, that's what this was about. Because I think there's a lot of mis misinformation and misconceptions, particularly with the judges. They don't understand what these are. Um, a bump stock, like I said, it's just this piece of plastic. It fits on the normal shoulder stock of a semi-automatic rifle. And the only thing it allows the shooter to do is it basically allows the gun to, to slide back and forth when you shoot it. So you, you can pull the trigger and the gun, the recoil allows the gun to, to go back into your shoulder. And then because the stock slides, it kind of bounces back. And as long as you keep pushing forward with, with the, your non-shooting hand, the, the hand that's holding the, um, the barrel, you can kind of use this technique where the gun bounces back and forth 
and it hits your trigger finger and you're allowed to basically hit the trigger very rapidly. All right. So you have so to someone, so with your left hand on the on the upper portion of the rifle, your right hand is down where the trigger is and the gun is in your your shoulder there. You have to push out with your left so you're able to then fire with your trigger finger. Right. And what we were able to see at trial, what we were able to establish at trial, I think is really important because with a bump stock for every bullet that comes out of that weapon, you still have to hit the trigger. You have to hit the trigger mechanism just the same way as any semi-automatic firearm. And that's what makes it a semi-automatic versus a machine gun. I mean, everybody knows a machine gun, you pull the trigger and you just keep holding it and it keeps firing. I mean, that's what makes it a machine gun. But a bump stock, you have to hit the trigger every time. Mm. And all it, all it does is it allows that to happen, you know, some, somewhat quickly, but that doesn't mean it's a machine gun. Okay. Now, and, and did, you, did you think you were able to relay that information to the judge this week? Because our, that case, our case actually finally had a trial in court. And a lot of people are surprised by that because we actually it was one of the first cases that a case that actually went to court in federal court during the pandemic. Right. And I, I think I think we were very successful. And one of the things that makes me optimistic and why it's so important that we had this trial is, you know, the very beginning of the day, the judge told us, you know, he told me what he thought a bump stock was and how he thought it worked. And he was wrong. And I think he realized he was wrong as the day went on. And we we made we presented the evidence and we presented videos of how these work and and all those sorts of things. And and I think at the end he was coming around. I think he was finally realizing what it is that makes these unique and, and why they're not machine guns. Because you can actually do the same thing with a belt loop if you want to. It, absolutely. And that's something we presented for the judge because I think it's important you understand. You can do it with a belt loop, you can do it with your, just your hands. Uh, you know, if, if you're good enough at it, you can just do it. You don't need a stock. Okay. All right. Awesome. Um, man. Yeah. yeah, I've seen some videos of uh, guys on YouTube basically just doing it with the stock off their shoulder, just kind of holding their finger in place inside the uh, trigger well and just doing it without any bump stock or any kind of equipment like that. that that's right. And actually, one of the things... Oddly enough, that the government brought up in the trial was some some really good shooters can shoot a semi-automatic more quickly than a machine gun, which I, I think is kind of an interesting point. It's really just about how how fast you hit the trigger. It still doesn't mean it's a machine gun, though. Hmm. Now, there was one point in the case where the judge got well. Nah, never mind. I'm not going to talk about that. I'll go back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, never mind. We won't talk about that. So this right. was this was the first uh, court case to be held in person since the shutdown from COVID, correct? Uh, as far as I know, the first one in federal court in in Austin. In yeah. federal court, gotcha. Yeah. So correct. it's actually a big deal because uh, the judge wanted to make he wanted everyone to come to court because he felt that this was a very important um, case here. Yeah. And he said, you know, we need to have this in court. You know, and this is something that he needs to see and see everyone and not be uh, via Zoom or right. video or something. And like not that. only that, but they also actually let me and Charlie come in as, um, what would you call that? Spectators? 
Right. Or uh, something like that. Right. I mean, they thought it was important enough to bring to to allow people to witness as well. Right. I think that's a big deal. All right, so we're talking with Caleb Kruckenberg. He's the attorney with New Civil Liberties Alliance uh, for the bump stock for Texas. And we're talking with him. He's my attorney. We're talking about the bump stock case. We're talking about all the bump stock cases that are going on around the country and how this is important and how all these cases are important. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Caleb uh, a little more. And, and I'm going to ask him about, you know, what how all these cases are connected. So what's the end goal? What's the purpose? And how do you get a, you know get a case resolved at the end so it goes to the Supreme Court. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Austin's Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're back. And you know what? We're on YouTube now. That's right. We're venturing out, going to YouTube. We're trying to get out as far and wide as possible. We need everyone to know their gun law and what's going on. Know that we are fighting for you and your rights and your Second Amendment rights. That's our goal here. All right. So we're talking with Caleb Kruckenberg, and he's an attorney with New Civil Liberties Alliance. And we're talking with Caleb about the bump stock lawsuit and all of the lawsuits that are going on around the country. And New Civil Liberties Alliance, Caleb, tell us about that organization and what they're all about. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Uh, we're an organization that's really founded to fight back against the administrative state. And what I mean by that is we want to preserve normal constitutional order. We want Congress to make laws. We want the president to execute them. And what we don't want is administrative agencies like the ATF or you know a host of other kind of federal agencies to do the lawmaking instead of Congress and to to interpret the law instead of the courts. And, you know, this lawsuit, the bump stock lawsuit, I mean, that this is a perfect example. This is a situation where Congress wrote a law uh, years ago defining what is and is not forbidden. And the administrative agency, the ATF, said, we know better and we're going to overrule Congress, change the law. And in the process, we're going to you know, make people into criminals because they followed 
you know, prior advice and they've actually following the law that Congress wrote. And so it's, it's really not about bump stocks. It's about the fact that a department in the federal government has actually said something that you own, something that you have in your home is actually illegal. Even though you purchased when you purchased it, it was legal. But now they've determined that it is illegal now and that you need to turn it in. It's banned. And if you don't turn it in, then they consider you a felon. You're commit. You're actually committing a felony. And so that's absolutely right. Right. And, and, and those are the types of cases that you guys, you know, fight. It's not, you know, that you're pro gun, you know, anti gun or anything like that. It's it's really about liberty. And it's about the Constitution. Right. I, you know, I tell people all the time, it's like Schoolhouse Rock. That's what we care about. I want bills to be passed by Congress and they have to be signed by the president for them to be law. And courts then interpret the law. And but unfortunately, what happens so often is these agencies, they just jump in and they do something that the Constitution never expected. And the Constitution was actually designed to avoid. And you know, they change the law and they make people into criminals all the time. And so that's really what we fight against across the country. Right. And I don't want to vilify, you know, vilify the ATF because they're actually a good group of people. They're a good organization. Um, so I don't want to vilify them. They're doing, you know, for the most part, they do what they're supposed to do, what, you know, how they were founded. But then there are things, you know, there are times that, that you know, we feel that some people step outside the lines there. And we need to go through this process to make sure that we understand, they understand, you know, what their powers and their authorities really are. That's that's right. And, you know, I'll say this about the ATF, too. And this is an important aspect of the lawsuit is, you know, the ATF, I think, got it. They understood for a long time these devices are not machine guns. I mean, that's why they issued classification letters saying that. And what really happened is it was because of political pressure in the leadership um, and pressure at DOJ, which are you know the prosecuting arm of of the executive branch, you know that's really where the change happened. And what happened is they didn't listen to the people at the ATF, and they didn't listen to the people at the ATF who knew how these devices work and really understand the you know the the function of a bump stock and a machine gun. All right, so Caleb, tell me uh, how how are these cases connected to each other? Because there are a lot of different cases. There are cases where um, the a lot of different organizations are supporting, like Gunners of America are, are behind. that are all bump stock cases, but they're all you know all the attorneys actually talk to each other. Yeah, well, you know, we're all in this. We all have the same goal. What we want is we want a judge to to rule that this ban is unlawful, and you know that's important for two reasons. I mean, one, we want to make it to where the law is back to where it was so that people aren't um, at risk of going to prison. But second, you know, we want an order. We want a strong decision from a court saying that this is an unconstitutional way to behave from an agency, whether it's ATF or anyone else. Um, you know, and we're all trying to get the same goal. And so we're he all here, you know, in different courts and we have different clients, but we're working towards the same end. It just so happens that you know, our cases, and when I say our, I mean, New Civil Liberties Alliance in your case, you know, we're really the farthest along. And I think we have the strongest hope of getting a favorable judgment. Nice. And and that goal is to get, make it all the way to the Supreme Court, whether it's, you know, one case makes it, you know, 
uh, to its court of appeals. They get one type of ruling. Another case makes it to their court of appeals, and it gets a totally different type of ruling, or maybe on a different subject. And that means the Supreme Court has to decide, okay, how are we going to go forward with this? Well, and that I mean, that's the goal. You know, if if I think probably if we win um, in the lower courts, then the government's going to appeal it. We're going to end up in the Supreme Court. And if the government wins, I think there's a very good chance that we're going to go up to the Supreme Court anyway. Mm. So that's, you know, I, I would say there's a very good chance that this, you know, two years from now, so we'll be in the Supreme Court talking about this. Yeah, we're, and we're not going to get instant gratification here. This is going to take a few years. And that, and that's unfortunate, but that's that's the way the legal system works. I always have to tell my clients that up front. It, it's a slow process. But I think a victory here is going to be really important for other cases and for other rights going forward. So it's it's definitely going to be worth it. All right, because every, everyone's looking at this case. This is a very important case, um, even though the judges are taking a look at it, and, and everyone's moving with caution because uh, it's. I, I think – I, I don't know if our judge wants to be the first one that makes actually ruling. <laughs> I think he's kind of nervous about that. Sound like well, I me. think I think you're probably right. I think they they sort of look around and they they don't. Nobody wants to stick their neck out. Right. But I think a lot of the judges are starting to recognize how important this is. Like I said, that the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, you know, that's a major order that they issued a couple weeks ago um, to review this. You know, I think they're all starting to understand this is incredibly important and this is going to be a major case. Awesome. And I want to I want to thank you, Caleb, for coming on the radio show today and talking to us about this and uh, explaining the process and how all this stuff is working, because uh, hopefully we can get the all the judges. Maybe there's some judges that are on the different panels um, and around the country that don't know too much about firearms. So we definitely want to make sure that we we get them to understand you know, it from our perspective also to get them to understand it from perspective where it's a person that, that maybe has never fired a gun before. So I definitely want to thank that, you for coming fine. on because I guess thank you very much. You have to also um, do your closing arguments. Uh, you have to type them up and turn them into the judge. That's the very last phase. Yeah, that's that's right. And so that's that's what I'm working on right now is, you know, our one last pitch to the judge so that he can understand this correctly and, and hopefully reach the right decision quickly. Awesome. Man, thank you, Caleb Kruckenberg. He's the attorney with the New Civil Liberties Alliance. He's my attorney uh, with the bump stock ban. Thank you very much for coming on the show, and we'll talk to you a little later on. All right, take care. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Jack Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. All right. We're going to change gears a little bit. Now we're going to talk about Houston, Texas. That's right. So apparently a Houston lawsuit challenges Texas law regulating the no gun signs, the 30.06 and 30.07 sign. So a church in Clear Lake and a coffee shop in the Heights are challenging a Texas law that dictates how the 30.06 and 30.07 signs are displayed. So I, I'm, I'm guessing they don't like these signs and they want to not 
have to post 30.06 signs, 07 signs. They feel that the signs are too big, they're too large, and they just want to be able to post just a regular no gun sign or something of that sort. So we're going we're gonna to have a Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield on the show to talk to us about this lawsuit, what's going on, and also get his take on what's happening. Edwin, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Hey, Mike, how you doing? You Out- know, it's always great to speak with you. Outstanding, sir. So tell me, uh, what in the world is this lawsuit all about and who's funding this thing? Yeah, just a little bit of background. And of course, you know this because you're so intimately involved with the legislative process. But the 30-06, 30-07 signs have been in the crosshairs, to use a term, uh, of the anti-gun folks for several of the past legislative sessions. Uh, they really, really, really hate the 30-06 and 30-07 signs. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you specifically recall, but one of the more humorous uh, types of ways that they were attempting to uh, advocate to the legislature uh, were having, uh, were by their declaration that a properly worded and placed 30-06 sign was bigger than a five-year-old child. And so they had five-year-old children holding up 30-06 and 30-07 signs uh, to show how distractingly large they were. And so they uh, those bills, of course, as you know, and, and just to inform your listeners, uh, those bills have never gone anywhere. In fact, I don't even know that they ever even got a proper hearing. And so as we are aware, uh, the Michael Bloomberg groups are behind all, virtually all of the anti-gun lobbying in the state of Texas. Like every town, uh, right? Uh, yeah, every town, Moms Demand Action, they're all part of, they're all, they're, they're, they're all arms of the same despicable octopus. It concerns me when I look at the lawsuit and I see the plaintiffs are the Bay Area Unitarian Universalist Church, and then Ooh. also, also Drink Houston Better. Now, that, kind of, that disturbs you me. Know, you, I see the church is with an organization called the Drink Houston Better, you know, I'm... That caused me a, a, that a little concern. A drink, you know, when a church is, you know, teaming up. Yeah, well, it? also, you know, keep in mind they're the Unitarian Universalist, which are more of a political organization than a religious organization. Um, basically, I guess there's, you know, I, don't, I hope I don't offend any of your listeners who are Unitarian <laughs> Universalists, but they're kind of, they, they don't, basically they just adhere to this general message uh, everybody's happy. Everybody be good to one another. Um, they're they're really kind of a more of a uh, civic organization rather than a church. All right. Edwin, don't uh, be walking on eggshells. What do you mean? Are they crazy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Uh, but actually, you know, one of the unique things is this church is literally right down the street from our office. Mm. I mean, that's <laughs> and so, uh, well, basically, getting back to how this suit came about, or at least what I'm what I'm deducing from how this suit came about was that due to the fact that their legislative actions to remove 30 out six 30 have gotten no traction whatsoever uh, and in fact every time they've talked about it the legislature has had an opportunity to examine the 30 out six 30 out seven signs and go huh you know these these really don't give enough notice and so we're going to lessen the penalties for violating them uh, and then not only that, as you're aware, last legislative session, they said, even if you do uh, go into place without a sign, you have a defense that you were never even asked to leave before the police showed up and tried to arrest you for this. 
and so or issue a citation because it's only a class C misdemeanor. Now, uh, what's interesting about and so they they figure they're not getting anywhere in the legislature, so they've decided to uh, file a lawsuit. So they hired an extremely high-priced law firm, one of these national law firms, Jones Day, and they have paid three of their extremely high-priced lawyers based in Houston, Atlanta, and I believe New York was the other one, or Washington, D.C. office, uh, along with their own staff attorney from every town to represent these uh, plaintiffs, the coffee shop and the church, to somehow say that the, uh, the fact that one of the types of notice that they could give for criminal trespass is unduly burdensome on them, and that is the posting of this uh, sign. Um, and they, it's very funny because they quote in their lawsuit uh, Jerry Patterson uh, several times using the same quote uh, that uh, during the debate about the 30-06 law that they wanted to make the notice requirements uh, very cumbersome in an effort to dissuade people from putting them up, but, which but, may but, have said – but, but Edwin, though, you know, you don't have to do the sign. You can give verbal notice. That's correct. That's a major, major hole in their lawsuit. And what they try to argue is that, uh, that you know, basically people who carry guns are inherently dangerous. Uh, and it would present a, a dangerous situation for one of their employees to go up to somebody and say, I'm sorry, sir, but you'll have to. Uh, leave the premises with your with your handgun. But Edwin, um, but Edwin, all you have to do if you don't want to talk to the person, all you have to do is call the police. The police and show they'll up. Talk to them for you. Yeah, and then you tell this yeah. person in from the police to leave. If they refuse to leave, it's criminal trespass. They leave and come back. It's criminal trespass, which is a class A misdemeanor, was up to one year in jail. They can lose their license for seven years. Exactly. Their argument to that is though. Uh, that they feel that that they don't want to put an undue burden on the police resources by having to do that every time. Bless so, their heart. I know. God so, bless them. Uh, the, the lawsuit is actually contained. I mean, like I said, these are three very expensive lawyers, presumably very smart lawyers, but they make some really kind of comical fundamental errors in the lawsuit. Uh, number one, uh, one of the parties that they sued was the Harris County attorney, uh, who uh, Harris County attorney only handles civil matters. He does not handle criminal matters at all. Uh, but yet they put in there that he's responsible for prosecuting misdemeanors in Harris County, which is absolutely untrue. Um, they did sue Kim Ogg, uh, the district attorney. She, her office is responsible for prosecuting uh, misdemeanor cases. Um, they also, it's very funny because one of the things that they says uh, unduly burdens them is the existence of the website uh, 30out6.com, you know, where, or Texas30out6.com, you know, where people right. can go, the, a member supported or, or user supported, where people just simply post, hey, this business posted the 30out6 sign. Uh, and that says, they say that that has opened them up to uh, basically undo uh, scrutiny or ridicule, um, that the coffee shop is actually listed on the site and they don't like that at all. Uh, and it's very funny because. Uh, one of their things in there is they say basically putting up a 30 out 6, 3 out 7 letter is the uh, sign is the same as a scarlet letter oh, wow. saying that they are anti-gun. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, is that they talk about Jerry Patterson, they continuously calls, call him former land commissioner, which he obviously was, but he was state senator whenever he was saying all this, so they don't even recognize that that he was not in the, in the executive branch, he was in the legislative branch uh, advocating for a bill that he he wrote, so uh, so they get that all wrong. Uh, and the reason that I always believe 
that the requirements were so large. And I believe, um, I believe uh, Jerry Patterson actually may have mentioned this in one of my conversations I've had with him, is that, is that because if you're trying to exclude a license holder solely on the basis that he's carrying his uh, handgun, uh, that, that basically he, you need to be able to see the sign from as furthest distance as possible so that you don't have to, you know, park your car uh, in the August heat, trudge all the way up to the door of the uh, restaurant or store you want to go to, see their little tiny, you know, postcard side, no size, no gun sign, and have to trudge all the way back to your car to put the gun in your car. And so that's the reason it's so large is so that you can see it from the furthest point possible so that you're not, so that, so that the person who is actually the possible defendant in a criminal case uh, is not unduly burdened by having to uh, by having to be given proper notice, and that's the and that's that's another failing of their lawsuit is they're saying the state requires us to put this sign up. No, the state doesn't require you to put that sign up. The state is not imposing a burden on you whatsoever. It just says if you want to make it so that we have the ability to take away somebody to use the power of the state to punish somebody, to penalize them, to take away their rights, mm. to fine them, to put them in jail, you at least have to provide a little common courtesy to these people mm. before the state can come and take their rights away. That's what the state requires. The state doesn't require them to do one thing whatsoever. And they uh, they say that they want to just be able to post the gunbuster signs, which, um, you know, most, most gunbuster signs that I've seen uh, use the silhouette of a Beretta Model 92. And so that would be part of my defense. Is like, look, I just thought these people hated Beretta Model 92s. I'm carrying a 1911. <laughs> I thought I could fully carry my 1911 in here because they just told me they didn't want me to bring a Beretta Model no, 92. Say, no Berettas allowed. <laughs> no Berettas allowed. I'm carrying an HK USP. What's wow. wrong with that? That's not a Beretta. I think Beretta should sue them and say they're trying to discriminate. What about a Taurus PT-92, Beretta clone? <laughs> Possibly. So, uh, so you know, the, the, their lawsuit is is silly. It really is. And they filed in federal court. They're wanting a federal judge here. This, uh, Of course, they have sued all of the state actors. Uh, so the, the attorney general's office got sued. The D Harris County District Attorney got sued. Harris County attorney got sued. I'm sure he's like, what? I don't even have anything to do with this. How did I get involved in this suit? <laughs> uh, the Webster police chief got sued because part of the church's property is actually in the city of Webster. Uh, the HPD police chief, because they're in charge, the Harris County Sheriff's Office got sued. And so it's going to be very, very interesting to see because in federal court, you have to you have to state a very specific claim against very specific individuals. And so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how many claims and how many parties get kicked out of this lawsuit. Um, you know, and if, you know, who knows, I would expect one of these parties, uh, probably the attorney general, since all the rest are dubious in their support of gun rights. Um, but I would I would I would hope the attorney general's office maybe would attach a claim on this uh, that is a frivolous lawsuit and ask for sanctions. Yeah, they do. They do have, an, and as part of the lawsuit, the statutory framework uh, they put in there, number fifteen, under the general trespass law, a property owner can provide notice that entry is forbidden in a variety of ways: a oral or written communication with no particular language specified, 
uh, bee fencing or other enclosure, obviously designed to exclude intruders or to contain livestock. A sign or signs posted on the property or at the entrance to the building, reasonably likely to come to attention of intruders, indicating the entry is forbidden. The placement of identifying purple paint marks on trees or posts on the property, provided that the marks have certain features. The visible presence on the property of a crop grown for human consumption that is under cultivation in the process of being harvested uh, and remarkable if harvested at the time of entry. All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Show. We're talking about the lawsuit that uh, Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg, is actually funding in Texas to take away, get rid of the 30.06 and 30.07 signs. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace, this is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. Talk 13.7, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And we're talking about the Houston lawsuit that challenges, challenges Texas law in regulating the 30.06 or 30.07 sign. So there's a church and a coffee shop that says that, hey, the 30.06 sign and 07 signs discriminate against their property owners. And so we're talking to Edwin Walker about that. They have sued Ken Paxton, the attorney general. They've sued Kim Ogg, the district attorney. They've sued Vince Ryan, the county attorney, Ed Gonzalez, the county sheriff, Pete Bacon, acting chief of police for, for Webster Police Department, Art Acevedo, the chief of the Houston Police Department, and Kim, I don't know how to say that last name, which is the presiding officer for the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, Kim Lamar, most likely. All right, so Edwin. Yeah, I I have no. It baffles me. I have no (laughs) idea why they served sued Kim Lamar. I mean, that just that. I'm sure that that you know, obviously the state handles all this, but uh, you know, I'm sure that whenever this lawsuit showed up in her mailbox, she I I can't imagine what her reaction was because it's ridiculous. Um, But you know, one one of the very interesting things about this is is that they complained about the sign. Um, but in their request for relief, they're asking for basically the entirety of 30-06 and 30-07 to be struck as unconstitutional. And so what they're claiming is, is that if 30-06 and 30-07 didn't exist, uh, it would go back to the general trespass statute under 30.05. Now, the way that these constitutional arguments work is that the courts, whenever they do find something unconstitutional, and usually there's a... a they they don't they only strike the offending part, and so obviously the Texas legislature's intent was to not subject licensed to carry holders to the same extreme penalties in thirty point zero five, and so since they're only complaining about the sign part, uh, even if the court were to find any merit to their lawsuit whatsoever, the the court should only strike the signage requirements, uh, thus uh, basically leaving them that they're only left with verbal notice and the handing out of little cards with the statutory language on them. Uh, And so that would sort of fall under the be careful what you wish for 
type of scenario, which uh, they've complained that, oh, giving oral notice scares us and terrifies us. These terrible, horrible licensed carry holders are going to get into physical confrontations with us. Uh, and it would be very funny if the court said, all right, if you don't like the sign, I'll strike the sign requirement. But now guess what? You got to tell them all in person before you can charge somebody with criminal trespass under 30 odd six or 30 odd seven. So mm. uh, that would really serve them right if that were to happen. <laughs> all right. And then, Edwin, there's some other cases, uh, some other things that are going on because you, you guys get a lot of phone calls in your office. Uh, people ask uh, a lot of different questions around the country. So what are some of those hot button topics that people actually ask you, you know, on a daily basis, you know, what bugs them, what's happening you know, either in Texas or around the country? Right. Well, obviously, you know, at the start of the whole coronavirus thing, there were we were flooded with uh, mask questions. Mm. Uh, I can't tell you how many. I mean, it was it was in the dozens of calls a day uh, with people just saying, oh, my gosh, am I, you know, am I allowed to carry my handgun while I'm wearing a mask? Um, and of course, you know, you are, I don't want to scare anybody out there. Mask doesn't have anything to do with those, those two, those two things do not converge the wearing of a mask and the, the carrying of a, a, of a handgun by a license holder. So don't worry about that. We got a lot of those. And then obviously once the, uh, once the societal unrest occurred in the summer, um, and people seeing, you know, the images on television of the, the riots and the people and the blocking of traffic and the, you know, people being dragged out of their cars and assaulted and everything else. And, and then, of course, the, the shooting that happened there in Austin, uh, we were getting a lot of questions about, uh, you know, when would be the right time to use deadly force to defend somebody if they happen to find themselves in that sort of situation. Uh, so we've gotten a lot of those. Um, you know, and I, I expect that maybe uh, as we get closer to the election, uh, there'll be a, a whole there'll be questions about carrying a uh, carrying a firearm in a polling place, uh, because obviously I, I think it's kind of foreseeable uh, that while we would hope uh, that the state would be able to maintain law and order around polling places and prevent any kind of voter intimidation, um, you know, the electioneering statutes. Uh, say that you can't electioneer within 100 feet, a lot of times people have to park further than 100 feet. And so, you know, what's going to happen in those in those situations? And and so I anticipate we'll get a lot of questions about can you carry a gun to your polling place, which the answer is no, you cannot. Um, you can't, no go with, you, you can't even go with past that sign that says no campaigning past this point. Uh, correct. That, that was sort of be, and, and which keep in mind, um, even though that's been the law for decades, there's really been no prosecutions about that. And so the, the, the question is, the question does kind of uh, come in, you know, where that line is. And I think the state would argue that it starts at where the sign is. Um, obviously, you know, the word premises is used. So, you know, obviously the definition is building or portion of a building. So, you know, and obviously you always, you always have to be aware of, is your polling place in an already prohibited area? For example, right. my polling place, which is actually within walking distance of my house, uh, is an elementary school. So I couldn't carry there anyway right. because it's still a school, even when it's acting as a polling place. So those are those are the things that most people have been interested in. And and uh, fortunately, Texas law does in many ways provide fairly clear cut answers. And so we're able to, we're able to help. But that's 
obviously one of the great benefits of being a member of Texas Law Shield, Texas and U.S. Law Shield, is that, you know, you, you provide a wealth of information, but Mike Cargill is not on the air, you know, uh, all day long, every day. Uh, so, uh, so we try to provide, uh, we try to, to live up to your standards and provide uh, information to Texas Law Shield members who call in and they're able to call in, um, you know, during the week. Uh, ask an attorney a question, and of course, in the event that a law shield member has an emergency, uh, that that attorney answered emergency hotline is available twenty four hours, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year. Absolutely, and you definitely should call the attorney and get legal advice because I'm not an attorney. We're not attorneys here, so definitely call an attorney and get legal advice and find out what's the best thing to do. Absolutely. Hey, and, and Edwin, so tell me, um, what about uh, the, the different shootings that have happened around the country? So we've had the Rittinghouse, is it Rittinghouse, uh, shooting that took place in Wisconsin. Uh, what's your take on that? You know, so he had a, a he had a rifle in, in Wisconsin. Correct. Yeah. And and which, you know, that that's going to be one of those things. And I, I, I'm not you know as familiar with Wisconsin self-defense laws as obviously Texas laws. Uh, but the key is is what I think clearly the acts in of themselves appear to be self-defense. So his, the actual act of shooting uh, was done in self-defense. It's going to, the question, the big question is going to be is where he, did his acts preceding that, the fact that he was 17, he had a rifle, he's actually an Illinois resident, not a Wisconsin resident, so they're saying that somehow terrible that he took it across state lines. Uh, is that going to in any way undermine his ability to argue self-defense. Right. Um, I certainly hope it doesn't, because uh, like I said, the acts themselves are in self-defense. And you know that that kind of reminds me, uh, there is an issue that that come, everybody remembers the McCloskeys in St. Louis, and you know they've been charged with violating uh, basically Missouri's version of our disorderly conduct statute. They they basically. Uh, displayed a weapon. If they could have been charged with aggravated assault for displaying the weapon, I'm sure that they they would have. But it actually caused us to start to think about the conflict, the inherent conflict that exists in Texas law between the display of a weapon for self-defense purposes, which can be done in use of force situations, and the fact that if you display a weapon as an act of aggression, that's actually a use of deadly force. And so there's an inherent conflict between uh, Texas Penal Code 2202, the aggravated assault statute, and 9.04. And we've actually, um, we've actually, we're, our office is drafting a piece of legislation. Hopefully, we'll be able to find a sponsor for the next legislative session, which will actually uh, try to remove the fact that an individual who displays a firearm. Uh, or exhibits a firearm, as the aggravated assault statute says, uh, from being charged with a felony of aggravated assault and basically get the aggravated assault statute reconciled that the fact that exhibiting a weapon, uh, not shooting it, shooting it still would absolutely be a felony, but just merely exhibiting or displaying the firearm is at most a misdemeanor assault and not a felonious aggravated assault. All right, so when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you about that, uh, Edwin, the Mark and Patricia McCluskey case in, in Missouri, and how does that affect Texas? And, you know, if I want to stand on my property and defend my property with a rifle from people that are cr committing trespass or criminal trespass on my property, can I do that? This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. 
is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney with Texas U.S. Law Shield. For a second now, I was just getting caught up in the music, you know? I'm a musician. Yeah. I'm the, a musician. Uh, <laughs> shout out to my good friend Sean Stone for making these tracks, these yeah. bumpers. This is allowing us to be on YouTube right that's now. That's right, that's right. So we got some new music, folks, and then now we're on YouTube. Yep. We're fixing our internet issue. We're a little slow. Something's going on there. We're going to get that worked out. But I tell you, we are on YouTube. We got our own music. And shout out to, what's his name? Sean Stone. Sean Stone. All right. So, man, we were talking earlier with uh, Edwin Walker, Texas U.S. Law Shield. We're talking about that lawsuit out of Houston, Texas, where Michael Broom Bloomberg is actually funding uh, a lawsuit to get rid of the 30.06 and 07 signs. And then we got Jerry Patterson on the phone. And so I want to welcome Jen Jerry Patterson to the show. Jerry, they're, they're suing because they don't like your sign, sir. They don't like your notice. Well, I guess it's a sign of the times. I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't see it going anywhere. The legislature has that discretion, uh, and you know what? The, they're they're claiming the sign is too big. In other words, too prominent or something. But you know, really, if you're serious about this, if it's that important to you, wouldn't you want a prominent sign? I mean. Uh, None of this makes sense, uh, and it's a it's a usual whining. And and, mm. and there's another reason for standardization of signs. All stop signs are octagonal, and there's a reason for that. And and just All so perfect. for those people that don't know, Jerry Patterson is the what I call the father of the handgun license law. And Jerry, tell them you know the positions, the the offices that you've held in the past. Well, I, I was the state senator that authored and passed uh, Senate Bill 60, which was the concealed handgun law. Uh, it, it had flaws, but we had to have a few flaws in there to get get it passed. But the legislature, essentially, every session every session since that time has uh, made it better. Uh, so, yeah, I was the author of the bill back in 1995 when it was extremely controversial. In 1995. But the other interesting thing is in 95, we had a substantial number of Democrats that voted for it, and we had Republicans that voted against it. Today, it's completely opposite. There's probably three three Democrats in the legislature that would vote for it today. And what, what a lot of people don't know is I like more about – I like more what you did in 1997 than in 1995. Well, yeah, then we came back with uh, the, the cleanup bill, uh, which I had – I had some objectives in there, and one of them was to eliminate prohibited locations. Um, and essentially what we did is took some of the prohibited locations and made them discretionary. For example, churches were a prohibited location when I passed the bill. In 1995. like that. And I, I think that's unconstitutional. I mean, if a church, of all things, wishes to, wishes to allow certain people who are carrying a handgun, are not allowed. That should be their discretion. That was a First Amendment and a Second Amendment problem, in my, in my opinion. So in 1997, you cleaned it up? 
We did, and cleaned it, cleaned it up a fair amount, and then, you know, it continues to get cleaned up and prices reduced. I know everybody doesn't like to pay for I've heard the old thing about I shouldn't have to get a license or a ticket from from the government, but I but have to tell you, the ticket is a 40, lot less expensive. It's $40 now. It's not $140. Yeah, it's $40 for five years. So do the math. It was 140 for four years. And then we found out that it, that the uh, background check uh, was good for five years when it comes to you know purchasing a firearm without having to do a next check. So we made it five years instead of just four-year term. And then I think we reduced it to $100, and now it's 40 Right. And then, and then something happened in 2019 where they said, you know what? How about we, we – if you're a private business – and they let's say you don't see the sign, you don't notice the sign, they can now give you verbal notice. Well, the kicker about that, Jerry, I want to get your opinion on this, is right now we're in a pandemic. So a lot of your bars are actually closed right now. And so if the bar wants to open, that means that bar, which is 51%, has to now serve more food than alcohol. So they have to change their liquor license from the red 51% sign to the blue sign, which means that that blue sign with the license to carry handgun actually actually I can actually carry my handgun inside the the bar now because they're not no, they're no longer 51%, they're open, they're now the blue sign is what they're supposed to post. So my question to you Jerry is, you know, what's your thought about that because guess what? Now, if I don't see the sign, they post the third dot 06 sign, 07 sign, I don't see it, I don't notice it. Now they have to give me verbal notice in that bar. Well, the option for verbal notice was present after we did the 1997 revisions. We we said there's effective notice can be a sign, and if it's a sign, it has to be the standardized sign, or it can be verbal, or it can be in writing. And, and in other words, you can walk up to somebody and tell them to leave, or you could just put a put a notice in the church bulletin or whatever. But as a practical matter, I mean, I understand you, that's a dilemma in the fact that, and hopefully it'll go away when we start having people able to go out and eat and now and go, you know, go back to normalcy whenever that happens. <laughs> uh, but that, that's, you, you know, you gotta be careful. Uh, if you're in a place that serves alcoholic beverages and, uh, and I'm not sure if the 51% sign, if it's not present, is it defense of prosecution? You probably have somebody who can answer that question right there in the studio with you. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure, uh, what that provision is. If it is. You mean you mean if they don't know they're supposed to post the blue sign, they end up posting the red sign instead? Yeah, if the signage is either not present or not or incorrect, uh, is that a defense to prosecution? I do not know. Right, and I'm I'm pretty sure that will probably and we'll ask we'll ask Edwin Walker this, but I'm pretty sure if we you wind up uh, going to court, you might want to make sure that you do a screenshot of what the TABC's website says because uh, you yeah. may have to you may have to provide that you know in in court. That's- Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Man, I'll tell you what. Thank you, Jerry Patterson. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this because this Houston lawsuit, you know, Mike Bloomberg, he's working hard. He's spending a lot of money in Texas trying to trying to mess with Texas law. He's, he's got a lot of money to spend. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> running for running for office unsuccessful, spending money to change gun laws in Texas, trying to get trying to flip the, the house from the Republican to the Democrat. He's working hard, spending a lot of money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> call anytime, man. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. You have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. All right. All right. All right. So, Edwin, man, you were talking to us about um, 
the God, what was it? I, I lost my train of thought. We're we're talking about the other case there, the other situation. Uh, and and in Missouri, we're talking about Missouri, Edwin, uh, with the couple Mark and Patricia McCluskey, and yes. we're talking about you know what happens if that was in Texas. That that's in Texas. I have you know someone walk, and I'm gonna be that person that's 80 years old. I can see me right now, 80 years old, you know, saying, "Get off my lawn with my AR-15." The McCluskeys were 80. No, but I am. Is I that will just be. in a couple years, Michael? Hey, well, we're all going to be eighty. Actually, I yeah, I don't make it. To excuse 80. me, why I cleared this? Uh, <laughs> why I cleared this? How how old studio. are you? I thought you were I, like in your thirties. You're like very peak young. Boomer, you look very I'm young. Sure. Look here. Hold on. Were you busting out the smoke grenade? I, I will pop smoke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ. All right. So, oh, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Edwin. So tell me, you know, what what would happen if that was in Texas? Mike, I don't even have to wait till 80 to get that crotchety. I'm already a crotchety. So, so yeah, uh, you know, yeah, you know, the Texas, um, the Texas use of force in defense of property law is actually very, very interesting. And that's kind of where we're coming from whenever we, whenever we want to propose this piece of legislation that we really hope would get passed in this next legislative session, because uh, Texas law is very specific. If, you are uh, if you are the, the the victim of a mere trespasser. Okay, this is somebody who's not doing anything else. They're not trying to break into anything. They're not assaulting you. They're not uh, you know damaging your property, committing criminal mischief. They are just simply a mere trespasser. They are on your property. You do not want them to be there. You absolutely under no circumstances can use deadly force. Right. Okay. So if you use deadly force. You're going to get in trouble. So whenever people say, can I shoot a trespasser? No, you cannot shoot a trespasser. Uh, now, if that trespasser becomes an attempted uh, burglar, if that trespasser becomes an attempted uh, you know, murderer, if that trespasser attempts, becomes an attempted rapist, there, yeah, you get your right to use deadly force. But if they're just a mere trespasser, can I use deadly force? But you are specifically authorized to use force against them. And that's where the importance of 9.04 comes in. And so, uh, as we saw, the McCloskeys did not shoot anybody. They didn't discharge their weapons. They didn't issue, they didn't shoot a warning shot or anything else. They were merely holding their firearms. Um, they were pointing them um, in the general direction of the trespassers, which you're allowed to do. Uh, and like I said, 9.04, Texas Penal Code 9.04, specifically says that that act is an act of force, not deadly force. Mm. However, uh, the, the way that the aggravated assault statute is written, a prosecutor could come in and say, aha, you uh, committed an assault by pointing your gun at them. And that assault, since you, used a, you exhibited a weapon in doing it, that is now an aggravated assault. Which, even though there was nobody injured, uh, there was no there was no physical injury present. Uh, like I said, you did not even shoot at them. It wasn't a missed shot or anything like that. They could still charge you and prosecute you, and perhaps even effectively prosecute you for a second degree felony. And that is the inherent conflict of the law that we would like to remedy by. Uh, by uh, taking that exhibit part out of the aggravated assault statute. Since self-defense says you can't exhibit a weapon against a trespasser because that is a use of force versus a use of force. So when people have called and asked, hey, what can I do if there are people, what if I'm like the McCluskey's, there are people that are marching onto my property 
Now, if they're in the public street, you can't do anything. If they're on the sidewalk, sidewalk, uh, everybody has the right to walk on the sidewalk. Can't do anything. But if they come up into your property, if they breach your fence, if you got that's where that fencing that you alluded to earlier when discussing the lawsuit, uh, fencing provides automatic no trespassing notice. If you had a sign that said no trespassing, if you actually went out there and said, do not come onto my lawn, that's notice of no trespassing. You would be able to, at that point, use force, not deadly force, against trespasser. However, Texas does recognize that the display of a weapon, including a firearm, is a use of force, not deadly force. All right, we're talking with Edwin Walker, the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield, and we're talking about get off my lawn. Can I display, can I hold a, a, a firearm? This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we have some questions for Edwin Walker, principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Edwin, Zach here. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, pretty good. I had to have some theoretical questions for you. So, uh, so okay. here in Austin, we have a lot of uh, homeless people, mm-hmm. and uh, um, let's a say homeless, a, a, home, a homeless person cannot claim the sidewalk as their property. <laughs> a person experiencing homelessness, I believe that's what they're actually called now. But uh, let's say that I'm in my backyard in an area that uh, has a green belt behind the backyard. So there's uh, my house, and then the backyard, and then a fence, and then the green belt area. So um, if a homeless person goes from the green belt, hops over my fence into my backyard, then, uh, can he pass a, can he pop a cap? No, at that point, he's a trespasser. He's what if a it's tra- at night? The, it's, he's still a trespasser. All right. Edwin, I, I, I got one I for you. All kinds I got of things. one for my you. My producer's not in the room. Oh, there he is. Michael, <laughs> Michael and Zach are throwing you some softballs here, but, uh. <laughs> What I've got in my hand here is a uh, a smoke grenade. Can I throw a smoke grenade at them? You know, that is probably a, a chemical dispensing device. Mm. Um, is that smoke grenade uh, just a, a celebratory pyrotechnic? Well, let's or test it out and people? see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have no idea. You're going to have to ask Michael. Purpose. Is that a... Um... No, seriously, though. So can you do a smoke grenade? I, I would, You probably I would could. You, you, I mean, I... You probably could do a smoke grenade. What about a flash? Um, what about a flash bang? You probably could not do a flash bang. That's more like that's more like uh like fireworks, probably. Yeah, I think that the presence of explosiveness, um, uh, the smoke grenade, I'm assuming, just emits smoke. Smoke. No, no, no smell. Uh, no smell. No. All right, all right, all right, all right. I got one. Right. Roman like candle. Like Roman candle. <laughs> Is Roman candle on the board? A Roman cam, uh, you know, that's that's very interesting uh, because that is a, it does shoot a projectile through a burning substance. Uh, so it would be kind of interesting to see if that can be argued to be a firearm. All right. Um, and how mu- are you willing to work pro bono? 
I mean, I've, <laughs> I've never heard of anybody getting uh, getting uh, arrested or charged by shooting a Roman. I guess that would be, you know, obviously if you're engaged in some sort of a Roman candle fight, the issue of consent. A, a, a is Roman there, candle warfare. If but if you're shooting your Roman, if you see the homeless man, he's jumped your fence, he's in your backyard, mm-hmm. you can use force, like I said, but not deadly force. So I can beat him with a baton. The well, that's you. That's a very interesting question because you would have to see <laughs> is that baton now? Club is normally a deadly weapon, okay? Like a billy and club, so, you're saying? Well, that's the thing about it is, is that it that would be the prosecutor's discretion, depending upon the injuries inflicted. Certainly, if you inflicted a serious bodily injury on the homeless person, uh, that would definitely. And uh, they would charge you with aggravated assault, okay. uh, for which that's where the whole, uh, you know, are you allowed to use force, deadly force? Because keep in mind, a lot of people forget this, that deadly force, and, and that's because obviously we talk mostly about guns because guns are the most popular tool, but deadly force is the use or the result of using um, um, a, a weapon that could inflict uh, not just death, but serious bodily injury. Okay, Edwin, and let me so, ask let me ask you this. What about if we if I ask if I ask this this homeless guy, you know, would he consent to a duel? Now are we talking are we talking uh we're talking swords or pistols? That's probably uh that that you know that that's one of the very interesting things uh because there is a public policy issue to deal with that. Uh, society frowns on duels. Uh, whenever we talk about consent, it's mostly in terms of uh, <clears throat> sports, you know, boxing, football, that sort of thing, yeah. uh, or medical procedures. Because mm. obviously, a doctor uh, coming at you with a scalpel. When I think of a, consent. That's, I that's think of something completely assault. different. Yeah, but, I mean, can I say, hey, you know, <laughs> let's meet in this. Let's meet here at this time, this this day, mm-hmm. and you know, we're gonna have a duel. Can we do that? No, no. Public policy has said duels are socially unacceptable. So socially unacceptable, but what about legally? Yeah, they are as well as they have made that decision that this is where the socially unacceptable has also transformed okay. into legally unacceptable. Gotcha. And okay. you could not do that. Are brass knuckles considered deadly weapon? Uh, brass uh, knuckles, since they were just recently on the list of the legislature didn't want you to have them at all. Uh, yeah, punching somebody with a with a with a brass knuckles, I think, would definitely get you charged with aggravated assault. So if if, of- if so, if this homeless guy jumps into Zach's backyard and he hits him with a billy club, but not very hard, he's gonna be good to go. Basically, that's gonna be the argument. Is okay. that um, the the DA is gonna say no? Nope, <laughs> billy club is a deadly weapon. What about a whip? And we'll say we'll say <laughs> no. You know, we'll say no. It's not a deadly weapon. In its manner and use. Okay. Zach, why do you have a whip laying around? I'm kind of concerned. I'm kind of concerned. Does that have anything your... to do with consent? I'm concerned for your girlfriend right now. Because <laughs> Zach wants to use a whip. What's, oh. going, what's going on here? I'm just trying to protect life. Have you and guys seen here. that document? <laughs> have you seen that episode of You? <laughs> that series You? <laughs> you got to see hey, Can you. I put him in that glass uh, container in my basement? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, <clears throat> I, honestly, if you don't hit them very hard, it sounds like you can. No, you <laughs> might be holding them against their will. Well, if they, but I, with consent, Michael. Oh, consent. Michael, you know a lot about consent. Okay. So, <laughs> thank you. Well, like said, if you were, if you were to hit, if you were to hit somebody in self-defense uh, or defensive property with a billy club, 
the that's one of those fact specific cases where the DA is definitely going to say you used a deadly weapon and we're going to say you did not use a deadly weapon. In fact, we we had a case. So, you know, you talk about this kind of in the fun abstract, but we had a case where a man was in a fight. Um, uh, the, he was not charged with anything about the fight, but what happened was when somebody tried to break up the fight, this person came up from behind him, put him in a chokehold, and in order to save himself from the chokehold, he bit the arm that was choking him, and that is what got char- him charged with aggravated assault. Wow. And so it did not cause a serious bodily injury. In fact, it didn't even break the skin. It definitely left a bruise. It left teeth marks. Didn't break the skin. Right. Um, they charged him with aggravated assault. And basically, my defense was, whenever I would go into court, I said, look, all he did was bite this person. Unless you have evidence that my guy is either a zombie or a vampire, <laughs> this was not an act of deadly force. This was just an act of force. Mm. And eventually the zombie uh, slash vampire argument uh, eventually wore them down to where they eventually dismissed the case. But uh, but yeah, they believe me, prosecutors let their imaginations run wild whenever they think they have the opportunity to charge somebody with aggravated assault rather than. Uh, just a regular misdemeanor assault. All right. Thank you, Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. All right. We appreciate all the insight you're giving us uh, today. And, man, I, I tell you, I'm definitely definitely more educated now on, on this stuff. I always learn something new every single show. So I really appreciate that, sir. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's Absol- always great. Absolutely. All right. So let's go. We need to update on the shooting that took place in California. Ooh, Compton, right. California. We got like less nasty. than we got about a minute. Go for it. All right, so I am. No, I was not exactly prepared. I thought we were going to f- close out the show with Edwin, but now I'm ready. We got two LA County Sheriff deputies were shot in Compton Saturday night. The um, the the suspect in the shooting approached a uh, an LA Sheriff's vehicle and shot fired point blank into the right side, to the passenger side of the vehicle. At the two deputies, they uh, went. They were they were taken to the hospital and underwent surgery. I believe they they were in critical condition, and now they are more stable, from what I have read. Um, and I've also read that there were some moments, and I I have not confirmed this, but I've read that there were some uh, protesters outside of the hospital, mm. essentially wishing death upon these two deputies. Now, wh- what the motive was for this? Uh, individual to fire into the vehicle is unknown at this point um but but those two officers are they're in stable condition as of the the most recent report yeah and then the protesters went to the hospital they were at blocked the roads to the hospital yeah okay so that was verified that was true Mm -hmm. okay that's what i was i didn't want to yep pretty messed up all right so that's your update on the gun news from around the country also in texas and what's happening so now you know you're updated we'll see you next week as always more guns equals less crime you go out there and you buy yourself a gun you've been listening come and talk it with michael cargill
everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.